you to open your Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 1. We're going to be working our way through John's version of the Christmas story. John's is much different, as we'll see, than any of the other Gospels. Uh, through, through what we're going to see in Matthew, what we saw in Matthew and Luke last year, is that Matthew was working to uh, tell the Jewish people of how Jesus is the Messiah that has come. And so we saw that and how he shaped his, his Christmas story. And Luke he was writing so that we could have all of the orderly accounts. As we, I know you're not familiar with Luke, are you, at this church? But Luke was written so that we could have an orderly accounts of what exactly happened. Mark just skips right through it uh, and doesn't even give us a Christmas story. But John, John has a special one. You see, the whole purpose of the book of John is to make the claim that Jesus is God. Jesus is the divine son, the third person in the Trinity. And we're going to see that as we work through over the next four weeks, these first 18 verses. Uh, we're going to see three things in this text, verses 1 through 5, that Jesus is. First, he is the divine word, the divine word that was before all time and has always been. He has been eternally with the Father, and he, though he was with God, he was also was God. That's unbelievably important. It's, it's easy enough for a child to, to conceive, but it's also hard enough that the greatest theologians struggle with it. So it's one of those beautiful truths. The second thing we're going to see is he's the designing word. It says that all things came to being through him. That's going to throw the, the Jewish reader for a loop because they know Genesis 1. Genesis 1, this is God. In the beginning, God created. It's going to throw the, 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 the philosopher of this age in, in, uh, to, for a loop as well. But we're going to see that everything that ever was was created through Jesus, this designing word. And the final thing we're going to see is that he is the delivering word. He's the one who brings life into the world, that we can have life and have it abundantly. He's the one who brings light into the world. The main idea is that Jesus is the eternal second person of the triune God. Very simple. And the title for this is, the title for this is John's uh, John's Christmas Story, Part 1. I decided to go real easy with it. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were, were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we pray that as we come to you this morning, seeking to understand and hear your word, that your spirit would speak through us, that your spirit would enlighten to us the mystery of the incarnation and that through it we would see and seek you with a new faith, with a new hope, with a new joy that only comes from your son. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen. Be seated. 
We're going to just start right into it. The divine word, verses 1 and 2, if you look at it, it says, In the beginning was the word. Now, now there, this was... Why did he use this terminology is the question we have to ask. Well, first off, it was familiar. It was familiar to the Jewish people because what did it say every time in the beginning of one of those minor prophets in the Old Testament? It said it continuously said the word of the Lord came to, to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord came to, to Malachi. Over and over and over, they were familiar with this concept of the word. Now, they didn't understand is this the triune nature of God that John is about to unfold. But what they were familiar with was God speaking. Go back to Genesis. How did he create everything? getting ahead of myself right now. But how did he create everything? He created it by saying it, by speaking it into existence. Well, the pagan philosophers that would have read this would have been familiar with this too. The word, the word here is the word logos. And in Greek, the logos for them was a, a philosophical term that, that permeated all things. They believed in a creator God, but they also believed that there was this logos, this impersonal force that was amongst, amidst them and around them. John MacArthur says this. He says the, the word because, he says the word because it was the perfect term to identify Jesus as the super, on the supernatural side. The philosophical uh, understanding of Logos was a reality that was visible in creation. So people in general in this day, for John's audience, would have understood something of the word. But what would have thrown them for a loop is how he uses it. See, the Old Testament is the written word of God, whereas the New Testament is the account of the incarnate word of God. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this, long ago. And many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's what we just talked about. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir over all things and through whom also he created the world. That's getting ahead of us, too. But uh, oftentimes the, the Jesus of the Bible is both familiar to our culture and it is completely foreign. It's familiar because we're in the Bible Belt. The, 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 there's this idea of Jesus. Everyone that you talk to believes in Jesus. They just don't know the Jesus they believe in. But what it is, it is also, it's so foreign to when we actually open the scriptures and start talking about the Jesus of the Bible. Let me give you some examples. Love. People say, well, God is love. In fact, there's a Bible, that was, or not Bible, but there's a book that was written about 10 years ago that said, love wins. And in this book, this ex-pastor philosophizes that because God is love, all people will go to heaven. Because God is love, he wouldn't want us to do anything that's against our own will. Because God is love, we can do whatever we want because God loves us that much. Whereas as we open the Bible and look at what love is according to Scripture, is love is a faithful obedience to the one that has chosen us to show to lavish our love on. I've used this example, this this uh, definition many a times. But love is an act of the will. It's accompanied by emotion and leads to action. That's completely foreign to the to what the culture says about the love of Jesus. What about judgment? The cultural Jesus doesn't Jesus doesn't judge. Jesus doesn't judge. He stands away from it. He tells us not to judge anything, ever. The Bible, on the other hand, when we open the word of God, tells us that we're to judge those who are in the church. 
tells us that we are to hold one another accountable. That is judgment. He tells us that we are to, to look at what is wise and we are to, to, to bring that about. And the Bible says that Jesus is the judge of the universe and that he is the just judge who will come one day to separate the sheep from the goats. That is judgment. What, what about sin? The world, the cultural, cultural Jesus says, oh, sin, that, don't worry about that. The Bible says sin is, is an offense against God. What about joy? The cultural Jesus would say that God wants you to be happy, and so you do whatever makes your heart happy. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Don't let anyone say that what you're doing is wrong. The Bible says that we find our joy in Christ. We find our joy in the submission to the one who has created us for all things and for his own self. John uses this phrase both because it's familiar to his readers, but also to challenge their preconceived notions. And he continues to, to connect it back to Genesis. He continues, in the beginning was the word, we've been there, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Literally, that last statement is, God was the word. Theo, I have it here in a minute. Theos and Hologos. Right. It's the word. God was the word. It's, it's a, a fundamental declaration of who this word was. Now, that would have thrown every, all the readers for a loop because they have this. They had although the, the Trinity is all throughout the Old Testament, it hadn't been revealed yet. John in this is revealing how this Trinity Trinity works. He's revealing that it's, though they were with God. And they are God. So they're both with them. They're, they're, they are separate. And yet they are the same in nature. Tell me you understand the Trinity perfectly. I'll call you a liar. That's okay, though. It's connected directly to Genesis is, is the point. What has Genesis start? In the beginning, God. How's John 1 start? In the beginning, a bunch of words, God. You see that? In the beginning, God. And he, said, he just fills in the blanks, turns the light on for us so that we can see that not only is God the Father God, but God the Son is God, and they're, in the same, they're one and the same. They are, there's no mistake that the Word is God, and yet it is distinct from God. Think about this statement for them, though. It would have been startling. It would, have been, it would have been unthinkable because the Jewish person, one of their, their most well-known verses is Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And yet, now John is coming over here and saying, yes, he was with God in the beginning. Well, that's a time statement. Before creation, before all things, this word was with God. Well, does that mean there's two gods? No, absolutely not, because he says he was God. But he's also distinct from God. Once again, tell me you understand Trinity perfectly. I'll call you a liar. And I won't bat an eye about it. We, we should be struck, though, by the reality that God is near and is consistently communes with his creation. The triune God of the universe loves us and dwells with us. Let that sink in. Now, up until now, this is this point, this uh, this point you have to at this point, you have to ask, what is he really talking about? We know because we've read this before, but what is he really talking about? This word like this, I, I get it's familiar, but it's just a concept, right? It's just a spiritual force, according to the pagans, right? Now, for the first time, for the first time, we see, 
we see that the word was not just an impersonal force, but it was, a, it was personal, and indeed, it was a person. Look at verse 2. He, that right there is very important. He, this word was also a person, the person of Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning with God. Now, now beginning is what we look at as time. And so I said this a moment ago, but he, the word, and the God were before time. They were eternal. Well, there's another problem you have. If, 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 this, if we believe in one God, and yet we also believe that the, there's, there's only one one God. Confused? Me too. That's okay. So then we believe in one God, and yet there's only one. But there's three persons in the one God. And yet he was before time with God, and he was God. John MacArthur says, when the beginning began, he already existed. I like that. Not, o- not only is he God, but he is distinct from him. The Trinity. Th- though the Trinity is distinct from one another in the personhood, they, they together make up the one God. Why is this important? Because Jesus being God is being repeated twice here. It, say- it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Verse 2. He was with, he was in the beginning with God. It repeats the exact same thing over. And so it wants us to make sure we get it. Just in case we're confused, he wants us to absolutely make sure unequivocally that this is talking about God. This Jesus is God. You see that. For emphasis, he does this for emphasis. And he does it because people want to change this and attack it. Three very well-known sects within the Christianity that have attacked this doctrine, some of which through this exact verse. First Jehovah Witnesses, I'm going to read it in their version. They only trained one thing. See if you can catch it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Do you see it? A. The same was in the beginning with God. There's only one little word that's changed. But it's changed because Jehovah Witnesses don't b- believe in many gods. They don't believe that Jesus was th- actually the triune God. In fact, they say that's heresy. They say that it is a pagan idolatry to believe in this. What they actually believe, and just in a nutshell very quickly, they believe that Jesus is actually the Archangel Michael. He's the angel of the Lord, the same one for, that you look at in the burning of the bush. They, they believe that he was very early on, but he was a God. He was not the God. Similarly, the LDS, Mormons, uh, whereas they officially use the King James Version, they lean very heavily on the Joseph Smith translation. That was the founder. And his translation says as follows. In the beginning was the gospel preached through the Son, and the gospel was the Word. The Word was with the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was of God. The Son was in the beginning with God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now, like I said, to be fair, this is much more of a, this is much more of a commentary than a true translation. And I would venture to say Mormons would agree with that because they, t- they use the King James Version, which does not add all this. But let's look at what it does add. He says he's of God, that he's not God. Why do they do this? It's because the Mormons deny the Trinity, saying that Jesus and Lucifer were spirit brothers. They were the first two children of God, and they both came to God uh, the Father, I forget what the, what the, which, one, which uh, word they use. They both come to God the Father, 
and they have a plan of redemption. And God, the Father, chooses Jesus' plan, and Satan gets mad, and he gets sent to earth. Now, some of that is found in Scripture. Some of it's not. Mormonisms believe that, that they, there can be many gods, and that if you work and live the good Mormon life long enough, that you can too one day be a god of your own planet. That is wrong. Generally, but specifically, it's a denial of the Trinity. The Trinity is the three persons working together in the one God. Now, Trinity is never in the scriptures. So why is it so important? Why are we hanging our hat on this idea of the Trinity that, that it had, we have to believe this? Well, because even though it's not in the scriptures, the concept of it is all throughout. We can look in Genesis all the way to Revelation and see time and time and time again how the Trinity is connected and connects the entire scriptures together. The final view, wrong view of Jesus is, is practiced by what's known as oneness Pentecostals. I was challenged on this and uh, that there wasn't an actual organization. Well, I looked it up and there is. In fact, there's a, there, are, there were 20 within a 40-mile radius of here, with first one being in Radcliffe, one being in Elizabeth, about 10 being in Louisville. The, and what they believe is called modalism. They believe that in the Old Testament, God was the Father. In the New Testament, at least in the Gospels, God was the Son. But he was not the Father at that time. He was, he was, he was this different people in different modes. Kind of like uh, H2O can be steam, it can be water, and it can be ice. They believe that he changes through. And so now, the God is spirit. They only believe in... They, and they say that, that, that to... To practice this idea of the Trinity, just like these other two, say that it's pagan heresy. That's absolutely wrong. But we have to hang our hats on this. Why? Because, it, because they are distinct in person and yet one in nature. He was God and he was with God. Now let me be clear. Just because people believe wrongly doesn't make them bad people. Some of the nicest people you will ever meet are in these three organizations. But niceness or goodness is not what gets us in heaven. Only faith in the one true God of the Bible does that. So why does it matter? It matters because it's at the core of how God reveals himself. Colossians 1.15 says this. He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says this. He is the exact imprint of his nature. It is clear in scripture and it matters because it is because he is eternal, the eternal one, Thank you, Chelsea. It's because he is the eternal one, we can know that he was able to save us. A lesser being would not have been worthy of salvation of all God's people. Humanity is the pinnacle of creation. And so because it's the pinnacle, it had to take someone that was above the pinnacle of creation. In other words, it had to take an uncreated being to save us, that was to, to save all people. It took the God-man to take away our sins. Or I could say it this way. Misunderstanding who Jesus is leads to us misunderstanding the gospel itself. Now, how can I make that claim? Well, let's say this. If, if Jesus is just a man and not God, a one man can stand in the place for one man. But one man cannot stand in the place for five men. So if, if Jesus is just God, he can stand in the place for Lynn and Doug or Doug or Ruth Ann, but not all three. But if he's just God and he's not man, 
that he can't stay in the place for us in general. Because it ta- you have to have a, the same substance to, to do it. So he has to be fully God, truly God, and he has to be fully man, man, truly man, to stand in the place on the cross for our sins. That is why the incarnation that we're celebrating now in, in Christmas is so unbelievably important. Because it takes the one that came and suffered as, as he did and lived in the, uh, the sinful life, and yet he was a second Adam, and yet he didn't struggle the way the second Adam. He was a second Adam in the, that he, he lived this life, but he did it without sin. And so that he could stand in our place. And he stood in our place so that we could have life and that in abundance. But not only does John reveal his eternal nature, secondly, he reveals his designing nature. Look at verse 3. The designing word. He states the same thing two different ways. And just in case we miss it, the first time he says it positively, he says this, all things were made through him. Now negatively he says, and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything was made through him. This is to support John's main argument. John's main argument is that Jesus is God. That's his main argument throughout all of this. Jesus is God. And so he says, the way he recently says this primarily is to show that him and and God are not separate. Look, if you want to look back to Genesis, you can, or you can just listen. Genesis 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. Genesis 1, 6. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Genesis 1, 9. And God said, let the waters be uh, under the heavens be gathered together in, into one place. 11. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. 14. God said. 20. God said. 24. God said. 26. God said, Jesus is the word by which the, the, the means by which God, the Father, created all things. I want you to see that. The argument's this. It is impossible to be a created thing if all things were created through him. You see that? It is impossible to be a created thing if all created things were, were made through Jesus. Not, he's not only made, but there's a, there's a second half of that. He not only makes everything, but he sustains all things. Hebrews 1, 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of nature. I just read that, but it goes on and says this. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, just in case he's talking about Jesus already there, but there's a play on words by the logos of his power. (laughs) Do you see that? Jesus upholds it, but it's the word that upholds it as well. Jesus, twice it says, Jesus, if Jesus stopped upholding the universe, this would all cease. The universe would implode upon itself. God upholds everything. His, his precise, uh, continuous, sustaining works. Let me give you an example. Gravity. If he stopped, stopped making the forces of gravity happen, we'd just be floating. It's him who made the laws of physics. It is he who who designed this world to grow. Space. If he stopped stopped giving us the exact orbit to go around the sun, if we were 100 miles further away or 100 miles closer, we would freeze or burn up. We are in the exact place that God has given us in this earth so that we can live, so that we can support life. 
Or we can look at the expand, uh, look outside of that. We have our solar system. Outside of that's the Milky Way galaxy. Well, that's one of thousands of galaxies. And if you look at that, the universe is continuous to expand. How, what does all this say? Why does this point to Christ? Because it is God who is showing off that he is that amazing and that excellent. He upholds it all by the word of his hand, mouth. Jesus holds it all together. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created. Not some things, all things. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. In case you missed all, it's a special word that means all, but in case you missed it, he gives you a list and everything's in that. All things were created through him, and this is important, for him. They were created through him, by him. He was the means by which he was created, but it was also created for him. You have been created for Jesus. You were created to bring him glory. You were created to bring him praise. You were created that he would be worshipped. Verse 17, he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. If he's before all things, there's your time statement again. He's outside of time. Before time was created, Jesus was. Then he must be God. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning God. But John turns on the lights for us. And he shows us that in the beginning was, shows us the triune God. And actually, if you go back to Genesis, where's the Holy Spirit in that? He's hovering on the water. It's right there in the text. We can see the triune God from literally page one. It's everywhere. It is, it is now in the beginning. It says, uh, John turned on the lights in the beginning and shows the triune God. It is now in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It, in, intentionally, John, John's part his purpose is to show us that, that Jesus is this God and he is the creator God. And because of that, we can rest in the, in the assurance that Jesus will sustain us through all of our troubles on this earth. Remember, you were created for him. Westminster Catechism says that, that we were created to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We find our joy in Christ. I want you to see that. But John makes one final claim in our text this morning. Not only is he the eternal word and he is in the eternal and divine word of God, the creator and designer of all things. But finally, we're going to see that he is the delivering word, the delivering word. Look at verse four. In him was life. Now, again, this is all going back to the primary point. He's eternal. Before all things, before time, he was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. He's the giver of life, the shiner of light. The, the goodness and hope that we can have in this life is all found up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. First John 1, 5-7 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John is saying that in him is light and the light life and the life was the light of men. Well, now he's saying that in God there's no darkness at all. So he is this pure light. 
If we say that we fellowship with him and while we walk in darkness, we are liars. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from our sins. You see, it is, it is as we put our faith in him, as we cling to this God of salvation, that we can have the hope of eternal life. Beloved, Jesus is the only way that we can have light, life and life. Without him, apart from him, we can have none. But praise God, he didn't just stay up, stay away from us. Praise God that he wasn't just reacting to us. Praise God that Jesus, from the foundation of the world, the plan was for him to come as a baby, lying in a manger, so that he could experience what we experience, and he could defeat it. He could defeat sin, he could defeat death, and he could, could defeat the devil himself. He was the one, the, the, the seed of the woman that crushed the serpent's head. He is the one that we can come to. And it is because he came as a baby that he died on the cross for our sins. Fully human baby. Last, I think two years ago, we had a picture of Ezra at about this time. This time we have Elathia. Able to do nothing. Able to do nothing on his own. The God of the universe comes as a helpless infant child. This is amazing. But not only has he come, he has dealt with the darkness by his coming. And, and, and look at the final verse, five, verse five. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is good news. Jesus wins on the cross in the resurrection right now at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus wins and has won for you and for me. Praise God. John 8, 12 says this, and again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Colossians 1, 13 says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's where we all once lived and, and transferred us to the kingdom of a beloved son. We live in the kingdom of light, which he has won on the cross and he won by coming as the baby. He is the great deliverer, but we must turn to him and submit. He doesn't deliver us so that we can have all the junk of this world. He delivers us so that we can have him and we can share him. Because we have been delivered, we can share the story of the deliverance through Christ. If, if, if you're not saved, if you're here and you are not sure of your salvation this morning, I want you to slow down, read these words, see the God we serve. And submit to him. Bow your knees to him this morning. If you're here, you're sure of your salvation. Slow down. Look at his word. And go out and take this message to those around you. We're about to participate in the Lottie Moon offering. That We're going to be doing this over the next four weeks. And in this time of response, I, I'm urging families to come forward. You can either pray yourselves or you can call me over and I'll pray for you. I'll turn off my mic. So that's fine. Uh, while, the, while the music is going, we're going to be giving the Lottie Moon offering right here in this stable. Right, he, right here, we're going to be giving our Christmas gift to Jesus so that the gospel would go forward to the ends of the earth. Now's our time of response. May we seek our great deliverer who has come as a baby so that he could die on a cross and sit and be your deliverer. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, you are good. 
You are the good God of the universe. You're the God of the universe that has had this plan from before time itself began and who was before time itself. And you sent your son so that we could have life. Father, I pray that we have life. Help us reflect the light that you have given us. Help us reflect the light that you have shown us. Help us reflect the light that has been revealed to us by your word and by your son through the Holy power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we love you. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen.